Maybe two stories that stood out to me. I was chatting to one mom who said that she had buried some jelly beans in the garden and that they'd poured some water on top and this morning some suckers had popped up and it was a beautiful Easter miracle and the kids had been very excited about that. And this is a day about new life. So if you can do something like that for your kids, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then the other story was just chatting to someone as they were walking in. They just said, this is my favorite holiday. This is my favorite time of year. And I've just been crying this whole weekend. And this is a deeply moving and passionate and exciting time for followers of Jesus. As we remember who he is and we remember what he's done. This is a huge, huge deal. And we are going to be singing one more song at the end in worship of him. And he deserves so much more than that. But it is just great to be together as the people of God to celebrate who he is and what he's done. The cross, the resurrection and everything else associated with the Easter weekend. I just want to um, emphasize something Shane said about that preaching series, The Sermon on the Mount. We're starting that next week. It is a wonderful, wonderful passage, Matthew 5 to 7. Read it, look at it, study it, think it through, pray it through. And we're going to spend about nine weeks as a church going through it. And it is one of the most significant and important passages in all of the scripture. If you're asking questions about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, this is a good passage to go through. This is an amazing series series to be a part of, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time in it together. And next week, as we intro the series, I'll also be looking at what Jesus says about how to be happy. So for all of us in this room, I think we're interested in how to be happy. I think it would be really, really worth your time coming and joining us next week and further on. Next week, I'm also going to be telling you about another series we will be doing, and we need your help. We need your involvement to formulate a little bit about what is going to be going into that series. So uh, stay tuned for more information, but come and join us next week. But let me carry on with what is happening today. I remember a few, um, it would have actually been Easter last year, Faye Lazagang said to me, do you remember, because we had this big banner up that said, he has risen. She said to me, do you remember at the churches back in the day, the pastor would say to the congregation, he has risen, and the congregation would say back, he has risen indeed. And that really stood out to me because this is the day that we remember he has risen indeed, that Jesus has been risen from the dead, that uh, he's been resurrected, that there is new life in him. It is an incredible day and moment. On Friday, we remembered the cross. On Friday, we thought about the crucifixion, uh, Easter Friday, Good Friday. We thought about Jesus' very violent, very brutal, very bloody death for our sins and the sins of the whole world. But today on Easter Sunday, we look not to the cross, but to the open tomb, the empty tomb, where Jesus is no more because he has been raised from the dead. And this is a massive moment as we think about the power of God. And together with probably over 2 billion believers around the world, we are worshiping, we are singing praise to him, we are remembering what happened, and we are celebrating who he is and what he has done together. It is a big deal today. Now, I don't know why you're here, and I don't know what is going on through your hearts and your minds. Maybe you're slightly influenced by chocolate and sugar that is coursing through your systems and through your mind. Maybe today you're here out of just dry tradition. You come to church with your family. You've always gone to church. So Easter, you go to church. It's what you do. You're not sure why, but you do it, and you're here today, and you're not really interested in what I've got to say, but you're here anyway. It's wonderful to have you. Or maybe you're here today and you're like that person I mentioned who's just been in tears this weekend, thinking with deep passion and emotion about how incredible Jesus is, about his death, about his sacrifice, about his love for us, about how incredible he is, our God, our Lord, our Savior, our King. And maybe you've been deeply moved thinking about that this weekend. Whoever you are, whatever you're here, whatever's going on in your mind, no one can deny that on the global calendar all around the world, this is a big deal. This weekend is a big deal. Today is a big day. And for all of us, it is a big moment to think about forgiveness and love and grace and truth and new life. 
And that's just what we want to do today. If you're here today and you're going through a difficult moment in your life and you may be saying, God, where are you? This is a good opportunity to look to the cross and to think of the love of God. As we look at the cross, we see God's love demonstrated and shown to us, his love revealed to us in an incredible way. And if you're in a place where you're doubting God's love, you're doubting God's presence in your life, this is a good time to look to the cross and be reminded of how much he cares about you. Maybe you're in another place where you feel helpless, you feel in need, you feel lonely. This is also a good time to look to the open tomb, the empty tomb where Jesus was raised from the dead to see that God is powerful. This weekend, we don't just remember God's love, but we remember the power of God, that he is able to raise people from death to life. I don't know what you think is more powerful than that, but God's power is great. And he can work in your situation, in your life, in your reality, in a powerful, life-changing way. So if you remember nothing else as you leave here today, I want you to remember that God loves you and that God is powerful to change your life or your situation, no matter what it might be. So what we're going to do today is if you have your Bible, you can open it to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to 8. It will pop up on the screen behind me. And we're going to go through this passage today, which is probably the most preached passage over the Easter weekend. This is an incredible, well-known, dearly loved Easter passage. And I want us to go through it together. And I trust that God would speak to you and encourage you today. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 8. It says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, all at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I think this is an amazing passage because as we come to this Easter weekend, this passage deals with the crucifixion and it deals with the resurrection of Jesus. So I'll let you in on a little secret about how I read through my Bible and how I prepare for notes. Like from a devotional point of view, I love to do this. I love to take my Bible out and a pen and a highlighter. And as I read through a passage to highlight anything that stands out to me, maybe I underline or circle or number or highlight or whatever it is, I want to highlight the things that are standing out to me. And when I come to a message, I do exactly the same. I'll be looking through this text saying, what is God saying? What is this text talking about? What's the big idea here? What's the context? What's going on? What links together? What is God saying? What can I know more about him? What does it mean for my life? All of these points. And I start to circle and highlight and underline. And as I did it in this passage, there was so much to underline and highlight and look at. It's very deep. It's very crammed. It's very packed. And what I like to do as I go through a passage is to really squeeze out every bit of life, every bit of truth, every bit of goodness that I can find inside of it. It's like I'll go to one word at times and just really squeeze out all of the truth and life that's in there until I feel that I've heard everything that God could say to me out of that passage. So I tried that with this passage today, and I felt very inspired and strengthened. I must say I felt more in awe and in love with God. And I'm telling you, you could look through this passage a lot, and there would be a lot that you could draw out of it. And I just want to make a few points today, which I think will help us to love Jesus more. The first three things that stood out of this passage that Paul wrote with us, I would remind you, the gospel and of first importance. 
It's like when Paul is writing this passage, he's trying to highlight these things to us. When he's talking about the resurrection, when he's talking about the crucifixion, these are the things he's highlighting. He's saying, I want to remind you of these things, of the gospel, because it is of first importance. So I highlight that, of first importance, and I say to myself, if this message of who Jesus is and what he's done is of first importance, it's important that I come to know it more. It's important that I come to understand its breadth and depth and height and width and that it shapes and changes my life. If this message is of first importance, I better get what it is all about. And he wants to remind us of this gospel. He wants to remind us of this message. And today on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, we're remembering in a sense, we're being reminded of something that happened almost 2,000 years ago. We're looking back to that story, to that moment, to that historical event, to that truth, and we're being reminded and we are remembering together as a community. We're remembering the cross and we're remembering the open tomb. And I just want to tell you up front, this is not going to be a flashy sermon today. It's not on some new text or new idea or some obscure truth that you might be interested in. Today is about a story that is so familiar to us. It's a well-worn path. It's something that we know well. Today's message isn't like this action thriller film where there's going to be some crazy twist at the end. That's not what it is because we know the story. We know the happy ending. We know Jesus' death. We know his resurrection. We know what it means for us. There's no twist today, but we are celebrating and remembering together today the story that we should know so well and that means everything to our lives. The cross, the empty tomb, and the story of our Savior who died on one and was buried in the other. On Easter Sunday, we come together to remember the story and to be moved together as a community by who Jesus is and what he was, what he's done. I am, went to London a few years ago and I was spending some time with a friend and ended up in this art gallery by myself for a few hours. And I walked around and I looked at a whole lot of the paintings and sculptures and visual art and whatever they might have had in this gallery. And it was really moving. I mean, to see some of the greatest artists of all time, their actual art. This is something they touched and they painted, and now it's up on the wall in front of me. And I'm looking at the art by these big names, guys like Van Gogh and Picasso and Dali, these pieces of art that they painted, that they made. And I'm walking around and seeing them. And I remember at one point standing in front of a piece of art that was probably over three meters wide, over a meter and a half high, painted by a guy named Jackson Pollock. You might have heard of him. One of his pieces of art is about to come up now. He um, painted like this. He would take his canvas and put it on the ground generally. He would take paint and he would uh, drip and drizzle it all over the canvas until he felt that it was done. And um, there was almost a chaos and an order to his art. And what I did there in that gallery is I sat down on the floor, I crossed my legs, and probably for about 10 minutes, I just looked this piece of art up and down, left to right, up and down, tried to absorb it. Tried to think about what it meant. Tried to think about the artist's intention. What did the colors mean? I tried to feel the art. I tried to think through the art. I tried to absorb it. I tried to let it do whatever work it was meant to do inside of me. I tried to appreciate it. I tried to enjoy it. And maybe you've got some moments like that where you sat in front of something or you enjoyed a moment so much that you wanted to remember it forever. You wanted to drink it in deeply. You wanted to take a mental snapshot that would stay in your heart or your mind forever. I can think of moments like that. I remember our wedding day, watching Michelle walk down the aisle. I think I've mentioned it a few times here. I wanted a mental snapshot. I wanted to remember that forever. I wanted to drink in and remember how I felt and how it smelt and what was going on and how she looked and the emotion of the moment. I wanted all of that inside of me forever. I've traveled a bit, and when I've stood in front of some monuments, um, 
some famous buildings or places around the world. I've stood there in awe thinking, I might never come back here. I want to drink in this moment. I want to remember this. I want to remember what it felt like. I want to remember what was going on. I want to remember what this looked like. I want to take it in as completely as I can. And Paul here in this passage says, I want to remind you. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. Is Paul who's speaking to us about the cross and the resurrection is saying, can you take a moment to sit cross-legged on the floor in front of the crucifixion, in front of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins? Can you take a moment to sit cross-legged on the floor for 10 minutes or more to absorb and think about and feel and experience and look at and absorb and take a mental snapshot of who Jesus is and what he's done? Can you think about what it means that he died on the cross? Can you think about what it means that he died and that he rose again? Can you think about all the implications of that and the application of that for our life? Can you take it all in, as much of it as you can? Can you sit there in awe and let it impact you and change you? I think that's what Paul is trying to do here, because he knows that if we think about this properly, if we feel it properly, if we take it in properly, it will change our lives forever. The next thing I highlighted was that Christ died for our sins. One of my favorite verses on the cross and the crucifixion is Romans 5 verse 8. I think Brendan quoted it last week and it says, but God shows or God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's saying there that on the cross, as Jesus was dying, God was showing us his love. God by the cross was demonstrating to us, proving to us, showing us how much he loved us. It's there in black and white. It's there in full color. As we look to the cross, we have the proof, the demonstration, a visual representation of how much God loves us. I think a few weeks ago I mentioned a book by a guy named Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And some of you would have read it. Some of you would know about it. And it talks about the different ways that we receive love. It's like if someone shows us love in different ways, maybe by buying us a gift, by physical touch, by kind words, whatever it might be. Some of us appreciate those things hugely and other things we don't as much. But here Jesus says, the night before he was betrayed, the night before his death, in John 15 verse 13, he says, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So I appreciate, according to Gary Chapman's book, that if Michelle says some kind words to encourage me, that moves me. She's demonstrated her love to me. If she does something for me, she serves me in some way to show her appreciation for me, I appreciate her love. I appreciate how she's shown it to me. But if Michelle was to take a bullet for me, if Michelle was to die for me, if Michelle was to give her life that I would be able to live on, if she died that I could live, I, I can't imagine a greater way of showing your love for someone that you would sacrifice your life, your time, your, your everything that they could live on. There's nothing that Michelle could do that it would be a greater demonstration of her love than this. And that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. Jesus doesn't just do something trivial for us. He doesn't just write us a kind note or buy us a little gift or say some kind words to us, whisper, you can do it in our ears. Jesus dies on the cross. He demonstrates and shows his own love by giving his life for you. He suffered and died in your place because sin is a big deal, that your sin could be dealt with and that you could come to know God. Jesus demonstrates his love in a way that we can always remember. And if you doubt God's love here today, I want to encourage you to look to the cross where it is best displayed. His demonstration of love isn't just a good one. It is the ultimate demonstration of how one person can love another. 
So I want to say, if you're here today and you don't believe that God loves you, look to the cross. If you're here today and you've drifted from God and you've sinned and you've rejected him, maybe you've even blasphemed him or made fun of him in front of other people. Today, God is committed to you. You don't believe it? Look at the cross. Look at how committed and in love with you he is. There is nothing you can do which is too great a sin, which is too great a distance, which is too great an ask to separate you from the love of God who has shown his commitment and love to us by what he's done on the cross. One pastor I read recently said the cross is something done by you. You murdered God incarnate. The cross is something done for you. God loves you and died for you. And we've spoken about the second part of that quote already, how much God shows his love for us. But we've also got to look at the first part of that quote, that the cross isn't just something done for us, Jesus dying to forgive our sin, but something done by us because of our sin. Jesus had to die in our place that we could be forgiven and brought into a relationship with God. At Easter, we're confronted by the very serious part of the cross, which is how seriously God takes sin. God takes sin very, very seriously. And we can see that because of the blood and the violence, the brutality of the cross. Personally, I think it's quite off-putting. It's not very politically correct to have that kind of bloodshed. It's not politically correct to think about Jesus dying. It's not politically correct to think about an execution, about the whips and the scourging and the nail, the um, thorns going into his head and the pain he would have gone through. I think we do prefer at times the kind of CUM Christian bookstore Jesus who's on a keychain and he's not covered in blood. He looks perfectly serene and pink and there's a crown of thorns lightly placed on his head but it's not causing him any pain. I think we can deal with that. But when we look at the Jesus who on the cross was absolutely pulverized, the Jesus who was whipped 39 times, his skin torn open, covered in blood. The Jesus who did have thorns pushed through his skull into his brain. The Jesus who was beaten. The Jesus who was spat on. The Jesus who hung naked. I can't imagine anything more embarrassing than hanging naked on a cross in front of your mother and your followers. In spite of all the other people who would have seen him hanging there like that. He was barely recognizable as a human. Covered in blood. Pulverized. That's not the kind of thing you want on your keychain. That's not the kind of thing you want hanging in your home. It's very off-putting. It's not sanitized at all. But when we see that picture, the real picture of how much Jesus suffered and why he died, asphyxiated on the cross, unable to breathe, suffering in pain for you and I, we realize how seriously God takes sin and how seriously we need to take sin too. The cross is a very bloody and violent moment. And when we see this seriousness, we see, yes, his love demonstrated incredibly. He's shown us his love on the cross. But we do also see the righteousness and the justice of God demonstrated. A God who hates sin. A God who rejects sin. And Jesus, who started his ministry saying to us, repent and believe. Turn from your way of life and come and follow me and believe my ways and my teachings. On the cross says, ultimately, listen, I've paid the price. I've given everything. Now, would you pick up your cross and would you come and would you follow me? Jesus was God, but he really suffered and he really died. I think sometimes maybe the middle part, the part we went through yesterday, the Saturday when Jesus was in the tomb, is not something we really think about. I don't really think about the moment when Joseph of Arimathea and whoever was with him took Jesus off the cross, pulled those nails out, took this limp body off of a wooden uh, cross and put him over their shoulders or carried him between them. But he was dead. There was no life left in him. He was completely dead. And they would have had to have carried him all the way to the tomb that he was buried in. And they put him in that tomb and they left him dead. 
It's not like Jesus was lightly breathing. It's not like there was a bit of life left in him. It's not like he could have maybe pushed through with a bit of medical attention. He was completely dead. And they closed the tomb off and they left him there. And on the Sunday, Easter morning, this, this day, as we celebrate and as we remember, and as people came to see him, the tomb was open and his clothes had been folded up. What he was covered in had been folded and left and there was no one there because God in his power had raised him from death to life. He was alive again. His heart was pumping. Blood was pouring through his veins. He had been dead. He had been cold. He would have smelt. He would have had maggots eating through his flesh. But he came back to life. He came back to life. He was resurrected. God's power was at work in his body. It's an incredible thing. And if you are here today and you call yourself a Christian, or if you are here today and you're exploring the faith and you're thinking about what it would mean to believe in Jesus, the resurrection is a non-negotiable. You can't just say, he's a good man, he's a good teacher, I like some of the things he says. You have to say, if you want to follow Jesus, that he was raised from the dead. The quote that Shane mentioned earlier says this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. There's some teachings of Jesus that I don't particularly like. I think they're hard. I think they're difficult. I've had to adjust over time to fully accept them. But that doesn't matter. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we have to accept everything he said, and we have to give our lives to him completely. Today, maybe I can just share three proofs of the resurrection that might help some of you as you consider who Jesus was and what he did. Firstly, after Jesus' death, he appeared to many people. After Jesus' death, where many, many people saw him die, when many, many people saw what he went through, where many people saw what he looked like, and where many people probably were part of the procession taking him to that tomb, many people also saw him alive. His resurrection wasn't a myth or just the opinion of a few. He was widely seen after his death. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, he was seen by 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. There's probably about 90 people in this room today. This is maybe a better representation of 500. There's a lot of people there. And we think about Jesus. He's seen by Mary. He's seen by his mother. He's seen by Martha. He's seen by some of the disciples, eventually seen by all of the apostles. Thomas, who doubted, comes and he puts his finger in his side. He sees Jesus. He touches Jesus. Jesus appears and asks for a piece of broiled fish. It's not the meal I would pick if I'd just been raised from the dead. But Jesus appears to them. But at one point along the journey, he appears to 500 people. He appears to 500 people. And when Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians 15, I think there's a bit of sarcasm in what he's saying. He's saying, okay, well, don't believe me. Don't believe Jesus' mother and his family. Listen, don't even believe the 12 or the 11 apostles. Don't believe them. Don't believe what they've seen. Don't believe what they're saying about him. Why don't you believe the 500? Okay, well, maybe 20 of them are family and friends and apostles. So 480. And okay, he says it here. Maybe there's five or 10 who've died since that time. So you've still got about 470 people, men who saw him, let alone the women and children. How many people saw Jesus? 
In Paul's day, he could say that because down the street from all of these people would have been people who saw Jesus alive after his crucifixion. People who saw him walking and talking and breathing and moving around. People who could say, yeah, yeah, I saw him die. And yeah, yeah, I saw him afterwards when he was alive. It's an incredible thing to think of many, 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 many people seeing Jesus alive and kicking after such a violent death. The reason I think Paul is so sarcastic and maybe even a bit... um rude or strong with his audience as he writes is because he knows the truth and the proof. He knows that this is true and he knows that the proof is beyond deniable. The proof is there. The proof is clear. Jesus was raised from the dead. The second uh, point that I believe is a proof for the resurrection is how Jesus' uh, followers responded to his death. You know, Jesus' followers after the cross seem to go back to fishing. What did I say? Oh, no, no, no. Jesus' followers after his death seem to go back to fishing. They're like, well, listen, we followed this guy and he's dead. Let's get on with our lives. But then they see him again and everything changes. They see him again and they start to follow him and to live for him and preach his message. And you know what? They ultimately die. Ten of the eleven apostles who were left, all except for John, the one Jesus loved the most, died. They were killed for their faith. It's amazing to think of that. Peter crucified upside down for following Jesus and preaching the message about him. Church history tells us each one of those apostles who preached the message of Jesus were put to death for what they believed and what they taught. It's quite a hectic thing. And if you're a conspiracy theorist today and you've read some of the books about interesting theories about how Jesus didn't really die and this and that, whatever it might be, and you're intrigued by all of this, I want to ask you, why did the apostles die? Why did the apostles let themselves be killed in such violent ways? Because they didn't get anything out of this lie. They didn't get anything out of this conspiracy. It's not as if they became rich. They weren't on talk shows or writing books or publishing their story for all to know. That didn't happen. They didn't get a job in the Roman government, a high position of power and influence, so that people would look up to them. They wouldn't have job security for life. Not at all. They didn't get any of these things. And in fact, they weren't looked uh, on highly in public. They were looked down upon. They were rejected as heretics and blasphemers and people who taught a false truth. They were looked down on for what they taught. They didn't benefit from this message in any way. It cost them hugely. And I don't know anyone who would die for a lie, especially when it cost them such a huge amount. There was no personal gain in this life for the apostles But there was great personal gain in the life to come because Jesus was who he said he was and he was raised from the dead. And maybe my third point today is over almost 2,000 years since Jesus was crucified, just thinking now, probably in about uh, 18 years, we will celebrate almost 2,000 years to the day. Won't that be incredible? 2,000 years have almost passed since Jesus was crucified And again and again and again, men and women and children throughout history have testified about personal encounters with him. Some seen, they've seen him. Some have heard his voice. Some have encountered him in an internal but real way that has changed them forever. For some, it is gradual and moderate change. It's a process. For others, it is radical and immediate. People who have been the worst of sinners have become the most passionate followers of his. People who have been sick have been healed. People who have been dead have been raised. Lives have been changed by this man. And throughout history, people say again and again, he is real, he is alive, he was raised from the dead. Jesus is who he said he was. In fact, I think if I was to get people from this church 
to come up today and testify, to tell their story, to tell about what Jesus had done in their lives. Anyone here who was in doubt today would be absolutely convinced that Jesus is alive and speaking and working among his church today. I think it's an incredible truth. The last scripture I want to use is in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul writes this after all he said in these verses. He ends and he says, he appeared also to me. Now you could be a historian and you could be writing about other people's stories, other people's encounters. But Paul says, yeah, I know this story. I know this encounter. But he appeared also to me. I've met him. I've seen him. He's changed my life. He is real to me. And I want to tell you about this Jesus. Paul is saying two things here. The first is that he had a personal encounter with Jesus. And the second is that it has completely changed Jesus's life. You might know a little bit about Paul. He wrote about a third of the New Testament. He is very, very um, well featured in the scriptures. But Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was this well-educated young Jewish man. He learned from the best, Gamaliel, the Harvard of his day. And he knew the Old Testament teachings incredibly well. In fact, it talks about how he grew in popularity and fame. All the Jewish people knew about his growth and his works in the nation of Israel and beyond. They knew all about him. And when this Jesus sect, the church, the early community of believers, starts to go out and preach the message of Jesus, Paul says, blasphemers. He says, uh, he hates them. He hates Jesus. He hates the church. He hates their message. And he starts to persecute and kill these followers of Jesus. Until one day... As he's riding towards Damascus, Jesus appears to him, and he speaks to him. And this man, Paul's life is changed forever. He does a complete 180 turn, going from hating and killing Christians to eventually being beheaded for the faith he found in Jesus. This man who hated and despised Jesus and his message gave everything to take the message of Jesus to as far as far away as he could. He went to Rome, he went to Spain, he went to Galatia, he went to Turkey, he went to Europe, Macedonia, all around the Middle East, all around Europe, all around as far as he could go in that day. He took the message of Jesus. He gave his life for it. He suffered and eventually died for it because it meant everything to him. This man who knew the scriptures so well, all of a sudden it clicks for him that everything from Genesis onwards has been pointing to Jesus. The Messiah that he was waiting for, the Christ that had been promised, is this man. And he gives everything to follow him. And eventually, his life. Paul says, he appeared also to me. And I want to ask you sitting in this room today, can you say the same? Has Jesus appeared also to you? Have you encountered him? Do you know him? Is he real to you? Has he spoken to you? Has he changed your life? And I want to say today, the question I'm, I'm not asking you is, are you living a moral life? The question I'm not asking you today is how long you've been coming to church and what your church attendance is like. The question I'm not last asking you today is how good a person you are or how much of the Bible you know. I'm not asking you anything like that. I'm asking you, have you encountered him? Has he appeared to you? Do you know him? Is he real to you? Has he changed your life? Has he appeared to you as he appeared to Paul? Jesus says in John 14 verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus rose from the dead, we have to take everything he said as true. If you believe that he rose from the dead, then it needs to change everything about our lives and the future. So if I can ask you today, what will you do with the resurrection? Can we stand to our feet together? I've asked uh, Matt and the band to come and lead us in one more song.
I think this is a moving day and a moving moment for us as the church. And we want to praise Jesus. We want to lift him up. And if you're not a follower of his today, I'd love you to read the words and think about what they mean. But we're going to sing a song now called On a Cross. And one of the things I love most about the song is the last verse, the last stanza where it says, On a cross there is no man. Yes, he died, but he rose again. And today on Resurrection Sunday, we remember that moment. Yes, he died, but he rose again. And his resurrection means everything for us.